0: Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And
1: I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and Cat, Rat, and Dog. Today we will be discussing how Harry handles the power he gains over Sirius Black, why Hermione feels betrayed by Lupin, and what the Grim has really been doing all this time. The chapter starts with Scabbers the rat escaping Ron's grasp again, and he starts running away. They all run and try to catch him.
0: And they do catch up with the rat, but just as they do, Ron is attacked by an enormous black dog that comes out of nowhere.
1: The dog then drags Ron into the roots of the Whomping Willow, um, where they hear the snap that means Ron has broken his leg.
0: Harry and Hermione are concerned that they're not going to be able to get through the Whomping Willow to rescue Ron, but Crookshanks shows them that the tree can be frozen by pressing a knot on its trunk, after which they follow the dog.
1: And they follow the dog through a secret passage under the tree, and they come out in the Shrieking Shack in Hogsmeade.
0: Ron tries to warn them that it's a trap, but the dog has transformed into Sirius Black, who then disarms Harry and Hermione.
1: Black appears to be preparing to murder Harry. Um, Ron and Hermione attempt to protect him, and there's a struggle. Harry finally manages to recover his wand and holds Black at one point, while Crookshanks, who is also there, sits on Black's chest, protecting him.
0: In this reversal, Harry tries to summon the will to kill Black as revenge for his parents' deaths, but uh, he is not able to. And then Lupin arrives and disarms him again.
1: Lupin and Black exchange some cryptic words, but then embrace like their brothers. Um, Hermione screams at Lupin and says that um, he's betrayed them and has been helping Black the whole time, and also that he's a werewolf.
0: Lupin denies the accusation that he has been helping out Black, but agrees that he is a werewolf. He then returns Harry, Ron, and Hermione their wands and stows his own away in his belt, asking them to listen to him.
1: Lupin reveals that he helped write the Marauder's map as Mooney with his friends, and he noticed that the trio left Hagrid's hut with an additional person. Um, So he helped write the map, and now he has the map because he confiscated it from Harry. So he sees them go, and they see an additional person who couldn't possibly be there. And then he said that he watched Sirius drag this person, along with Ron, to the Shrieking Shack.
0: As Ron denies that this is possible, because it was just him, Lupin asks to see Scabbers. He then reveals that Scabbers is not a rat, but is instead a wizard and an animagus named Peter Pettigrew.
1: So this is a really exciting chapter. Um, This is um, even more into the climax, of course, um, and it's a very memorable one, um, and I think there's a few different relationships that are pretty interesting to analyze, um, the first one, of course, being Harry and Sirius Black, um, this is the first time they're face-to-face, um, and it's kind of been building up to this moment throughout the whole book since the first chapter, so in, in this moment, pretty quickly, you know, we see Black Heat, there's a struggle, um, they're disarmed but harry gets his wand and he is pointing his wand at black who doesn't seem to have a wand assuming because he escaped from azkaban i guess he still hasn't had one yeah that's something I to... think we can assume that he yeah. still
0: doesn't have his old wand
1: um so he's been doing using like you know non-wand magic to do all the stuff he's been trying to do um but anyway he has the power over black in that moment and um just comes and sits on his chest, which we're going to talk about in a minute why. But he still it really could kill him in that moment if he wanted to. He has the power to do that. Or at least... You mean
0: Harry does? Harry, yeah. Yeah, I mean, theoretically. I remember reading this book for the first time and thinking, like, what what is he going to do? Mm-hmm. What spells does he know that would I kill guess he somebody? doesn't know
1: yet. They haven't learned yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, he certainly... It, he wouldn't. Because he can't summon the will to do it, right? That's the thing. So we we never actually get an answer to that question regardless. But it's just interesting that he is going to try to kill this guy, and I don't, like, what spells would he even use to do it?
1: Or maybe not kill, but I mean, he definitely knows, you know, he could hurt him, he could, um, you know, immobilize him, he could do something besides just standing over him, casting no spells. He really has the power, but I think... This, besides the technicalities of like he doesn't really know how to kill him, is a, a really important character moment for Harry and kind of defines um, everything throughout the rest of the series because that is him. He's not going to kill um, even if he can, even if it's someone that he hates.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely that's absolutely right, and I and I think that you're totally right that it defines the rest of the series because it becomes almost like a joke within the order of the Phoenix later on that like Harry's signature move is to disarm opponents because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to hurt them. Right. Um, and, and here, like we really see that start to form. Harry hasn't been forced into confrontations with that many wizards before. Right. First book, Quirrell and mm-hmm. second book memory riddle, but that wasn't really a mm-hmm. a fight using magic at all. Um, but e- even when he was fighting Quirrell, he wasn't attempting to, like, destroy Quirrell or anything. He was just thinking, like, I have to stop Quirrell from getting to the stone. I have to distract him. Um, I have to try to, like, get away somehow. Right. And he realized that using, like, touching Quirrell was hurting him. So he mm-hmm. tried to do that as much as he could.
1: But he, was not, he wasn't doing any, like, magic, Yeah, he dueling, wasn't even casting nothing. spells yeah. at that point.
0: So, yeah, this is the first time where we see Harry in a position where he wants to attack somebody with a spell and he can't do it. Right. Um, Because I think his nature is too, I mean, it's weird to say, but it's gentle. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like hurting people. Um, Even when he's really, really angry, he still can't, he doesn't have the nerve to do it.
1: And, well, I mean, there's not much time of this because Harry soon learns who Black really is and what actually happened. But in this moment, some of the angst I think that's happening is that, you know, Harry feels like I should be able to avenge my parents. Like, this is my – this is the murderer and I'm just here, you know, being useless, doing nothing.
0: Yeah, and everybody thought that he was going to be the one to try to kill me Mm -hmm. and that I was powerless to stop him and that I had to just stay out of his way. And here I have power over him. And I, I've turned the tables, and now I finally have a chance, like you were saying.
1: Yeah. But it's, he also maybe. I mean, I, I didn't even really think about it in this moment, like, he may be thinking, like, this is life or death for me. Like, Sirius is trying to murder me, and I've, you know, he's just taken her, he's maybe thinking it's only a matter of time before he either through magic or physically overpowers Harry to kill him.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's the intent of the scene, but that, that may be a concern also. Um, but I think definitely the point of it is to show that Harry is in the position where he has complete control over what 's happening um and so he has the opportunity, yeah, to like do something to black to hurt him or kill him or something, and he chooses not to
1: right and it to t- him
0: as as narrator it it feels more like his nerve has failed him, but i don't think it's that at all. I think it's that his conscience prevented him from doing something that he would regret um because one of the themes of this series overall is that revenge is not a good motivating factor and that like feeling remorse and compassion is much better in the long term and i think this is where harry starts to learn that that is really what will drive him in the long run
1: yeah i think that's true um and what i was thinking was that i wonder if you know besides all those themes i wonder if um, ron or hermione if they had been put into this moment, I believe that Hermione would have done something. I believe she would have thought of a spell to not necessarily harm him, but, like, trap him somehow, give them some time to get away. Yeah,
0: she would have probably, like, immobilized him or stunned him or something.
1: Ron might not have known what to do. He probably would have messed it up, but...
0: Ron, well, he's not as, like, bumbling as that. I think Ron is so much more passionate um, than either Harry or Hermione. I would worry if Ron were in the in the position where he was in control that he might actually hurt black somehow.
1: Right. Do that. So, I mean, I know that's not the scene, but I just think it's interesting because I do think that Harry's like, we talked about his particular fighting style and kind of the way that he interacts in a duel. Like it is very different than Hermione and Ron. I don't think that they are as passive as him. Yeah. Um, I think that's true. At all. But Before we get too far into the depths of this chapter, let's just kind of get out into the open. So Black says that, you know, there's more to the story. He says, I am responsible for your parents' death. But he says there's more. Um,
0: Yeah, because Harry tells him to deny. Like, Harry's like, I dare you to deny deny. being responsible. And Black's like, I am. I, I, I am responsible. You can blame me. That's okay. Right. But I wish you knew the whole story.
1: So let's just uh, remind everyone, get it out there, like what what did actually happen with well, I'm with sure Black. we'll
0: I'm sure we'll go over it like next chapter. But I think what he means, why he feels like he's responsible, right. is that James put him in charge of the Fidelius Charm. Yeah, and Black thought that it was too obvious for them to choose him as secret keeper; that Voldemort would know that right away. Yeah. So he 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 thought they should bluff and choose Peter, who no mm-hmm. one would suspect. Right. Um, and because he did that, he doomed the potters. Right. Um, so he, he does feel responsible and he says that, um, he just, he knows that it's not that he did it out of malice. He and didn't betray them. Yeah. There was no betrayal and it, and it wasn't, well, it, he wasn't the betrayer is what he means. Right. Right. So he just, you know, and I feel like black must feel so horrible in this moment. Mm-hmm. Like this is his reunion with James's son. Yeah. Who he hasn't seen in 12 years and like it's his best friend and it looks just like him and this is how he reacts to seeing Sirius for the first time right and of course it must be heartbreaking for him and and like at the same time like so much of his humanity and like what ties him to people has been lost over time Mm -hmm. being tortured in Azkaban so like this must just be a really weird and harrowing experience for everybody but yeah I mean especially looking back Black is my favorite character in the mm-hmm. series and so I always feel so much attachment to him and how he responds to things um, and so I, I definitely would want to sympathize with him a lot more
1: oh yeah no absolutely and I, I, think, I think that's true really about his humanity being lost and just him being so so desperate and trying to get to this trying to achieve this goal which is actually to avenge their deaths and actually yeah. to stop him and um,
0: and in a way, it, it makes sense in that in that context, like, why he doesn't explain anything and why he's so, like, single-minded about trying to kill Pettigrew. Like, he seems very villainous in mm-hmm. this chapter because he's like, there's only going to be one murder tonight. Mm, right. And everyone's, like, freaking out. And, and Ron and Hermione are, like, panicking. And they're like, we need to save Harry. You know, at any point, Black could have just said, like, hey, guys. It's not you. It's <laughs> not you. I'm not going. I'm just, I'm looking for Peter Pettigrew. He's your rat. Can I see him? Um, but he doesn't even think about that. He's so tunnel visioned.
1: He's like, if I can just do it, then it'll be fine. Then and can explain.
0: he's had 12 years of literally like zero human contact. Mm-hmm. He's probably talked to Crookshanks more this year than he has any other animal <sighs> in a long time. And, uh, he just like, doesn't really know how to respond to people, I think. And so it's very, um, alienating. And that's, I think that's part of why the chapter had to write him into this villainous role early on so there could be a twist but i think that's a good explanation of that Mm -hmm. in universe is that he's just so estranged from people no
1: it's very well written um and so one thing in this in, in this interaction is that um black says that Harry is acting like his father by not going to call a teacher but like going to handle this himself you know when basically saying that like oh other people would have gone to get a teacher when they saw the dog dragging Ron but you yeah. went in and he says this is just like James um, and that kind of triggers Harry um, in a way that makes him really upset which I think um, I think it makes him upset because he doesn't want him He feels like, at this point, like, Sirius betrayed them, like, stop talking about my dad like you knew him, stop talking about my dad like you cared about him, and, um...
0: Right, it's You don't know anything. Well, it's... And it's also, like, it makes it hurt that much more. Yeah. That Sirius is saying, like, you're just like your dad, and, like, I betrayed your dad, Mm -hmm. is what Harry thinks. So he's like... Yeah,
1: it's a reminder that, like, they did know each other, and they were friends. And it's
0: a slap in the face. Um... So then we get to, like, Harry being uh, in power over, over Sirius, and we've talked about that. But Crookshanks then hops onto Sirius's chest and curls up and lays down there. So yeah, why, what's Why her, is, why is Crookshanks deal? always, like, defending Sirius?
1: I always think that Crookshanks is a she, and I refuse to believe that it. it's a he, He's but... He's a male
0: cat. <laughs> but, um,
1: I, I don't... I mean, obviously they've gotten to know each other through dog form and cat form, but... I mean, Crookshanks must be, is a really interesting character, actually. Crookshanks must be extremely smart. And we talk about, like, being half Neasel or part Neasel, which is um, a really smart cat-like creature. But I think that Crookshanks must fully understand. That's the only explanation I can come up with, is, like, that they've spent so much time together and communicated. That Crookshanks fully understands, maybe not all the human back and forths of it, but knows, like... Scabbers is a person that is evil, and if that person's not killed something, more bad things are going to happen.
0: Yeah, and I think Crookshanks has understood, I think you're totally right, at at least the gist of it, Mm -hmm. and, like, the outline of, like, possible outcomes, danger to... Um, Hermione, mm-hmm. his owner, and, like, her friends mm-hmm. in the broader context. And I think Crookshanks knows that Sirius's intent is not to kill any of them. No. Um. So when they're fighting, Crookshanks takes Sirius's side because Crookshanks knows, like, if Sirius gets his way, everything's going to be fine.
1: Right. right. Whereas
0: if, like, I can't predict the actions of Harry and Ron and Hermione, mm-hmm. so... You know, I'm going to try to protect Sirius as much as I can right. until, until this is over. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Like, you hardly ever see a pet owner, like, defending not their owner in mm-hmm. a fight. Um, in this series, I think the reason for that is to show how close Crookshanks and Padfoot became and how much they shared. and how yes. And how in on this Crookshanks really is. Right. Like, Hermione is so, like, surprised by this yeah. interaction She's like, Crookshanks, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, and it's almost like Crookshanks betrayed them, too, yeah. in that moment. It's it's so fascinating. Um, but really, it's, it's just that he is more aware of the details of what's going on than they are.
1: Right, right. Um, and they're thinking probably of like, oh, well, Crookshanks is always trying to get this get scabbers and Crookshanks is evil and they've just aligned themselves together at this weird evil duo even though it's obviously that they're not actually evil but right. it is a it's also a good kind of misdirect because it seems this whole time like um yeah Crookshanks is awful and is out to get scabbers and is causing problems all the time
0: right and it's such a great Another, like, rallying one-two classic is to have there be a twist and then, like, another twist which reveals that the first twist was a red herring or, a, or a, right. like, not really a twist at all. Where, like, we at first, when Scabbers and Crookshanks are interacting and Crookshanks seems to have it out for Scabbers, we, like, take uh, Ron's side. Mm-hmm. And we think, like, Crookshanks really has it out for Scabbers. Then when Scabbers shows back up in Hagrid's hut, we're like, oh, Crookshanks didn't actually kill Scabbers. Yeah. So what's going on? Like, why did we think that Crookshanks was trying to kill Scabbers that whole time? So there's a twist. Right. And then it twists again here and it's like, no, Crookshanks really was trying to kill Scabbers. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool because it flips it again and then you are continually surprised by what's happening, but you also sort of feel like you were in on it the whole time.
1: Right. And this is just a side question, but I guess I probably don't know the answer. But like, if you're an animagus and you're killed in your animal form like Uh you're killed That's just it like you can be killed as an animal
0: i assume so yeah I, i don't think we ever see that happening the only thing i can think of related to that is that um hermione proved that you can be trapped in animal form when she trapped rita skeeter in a glass jar that couldn't be broken by magical means right so yeah i think you're basically just an animal at that point
1: yeah, you don't have...
0: Well, an animal that has the same personality and intelligence that you do right? as a human, but not with... Not an animal that has any uh, ability to, for example, cast spells or anything besides turning back into a person. Yeah. Like, it's hard to imagine Padfoot picking up a wand and pointing it at someone.
1: No, 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 of course, but you can... Um... If you basically if you didn't catch yourself or t- turn yourself into a person at, in time, you could be killed from
0: Yeah, no that that's a really interesting question. I I assume that it's a true death. But the question might be better posed as if you die in animal form, do you does your dead body remain an animal or does it turn back into a person after you die?
1: Oh, that is interesting.
0: Because that might be cool like to see like a wizard who is an animagus Uh, transforms into like a, you know, a cat or something and the cat gets killed and then you see them like turn back into a person as they die. Maybe. Yeah, because the
1: spell, like the the magic is wearing off because the person's not controlling it anymore. Right,
0: because it's not as though you are an animal. You are a person who has transfigured yourself into an animal temporarily.
1: Or I wonder if like actually maybe a way that that could, this could not really be true is that if... For example, like, if as a cat, like, you got, um, like, a, a bite or something that, like, would seriously injure a cat, but if you then were able to transfigure yourself back into a human, would it be, like, as big of a wound or, like, as, you know, serious of a wound or would it be, like, not as Oh, that's a as great bad? question. I don't yeah. know. I'm just now. I'm getting into the I don't,
0: I don't this know. whole thing, but I, imagine, I would imagine it would be proportional. But I really have no idea.
1: But I guess to think about this in this context with of um, Scabbers is obviously any time where he was running away or where he was scared of Crookshanks, where he was scared of anyone trying to hurt him, he couldn't have turned himself back into a human at that time and not be completely caught and short so he didn't have that opportunity he could only do that if he were like fully alone with with someone where he couldn't be because he was hiding in that form because
0: he was hiding yeah so you know you wonder why he didn't simply try to escape hogwarts completely as a rat as a rat and then transform you know into a wizard do some magic stuff to try to, like, get himself away, like, apparate or something. Right. Um, If he was so intent on running from Sirius, you know, you wonder why he stuck around Hogwarts, where Sirius obviously is, and didn't try to go somewhere else, you know?
1: Right, that's true. I don't know. Maybe it's just that he's not that smart is what we're gonna... Maybe, yeah. ...find out, or that he's also been... And I also wonder, now I'm just, like, deep diving into animagus stuff, but, like... If you're in that form for so long, like, does, does your brain kind of uh work differently? And, like, do you, you know, maybe he doesn't have the ability to, like, think very clearly because he's in a rat form for so long. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. That,
0: that might be true. I mean, certainly your, um, your brain chemistry would sort of start to align itself more with that animal. We do see, like, the people that are Animagi start to have more personality traits that are more similar to their animal over time mm-hmm. like sirius has more canine like personality over time after spending so much time as padfoot etc you know we we might postulate that the same thing happens to Wormtail. he becomes more rat-like over time i don't know how much that is like you inhabiting the brain of a rat because it seems like you still kind of keep your your, your brain brain but it's like If you're in a body of a rat for so long, you might just start to pick up behaviors and thought patterns that rats have.
1: And you're so, I mean, that's the ironic thing about, about the, you know, obviously the form that he chose, like being a rat is such a vulnerable um, position, just like in general, like a lot of people don't like rats. A lot of people would be upset by rats. A lot of people would try to kill rats. And I think that probably being a rat, like in real life, you're just constantly on alert for danger and stuff. So he still has to be doing that yeah. um, all the time, even while he keeps his brain. So he probably just doesn't have a lot of, like, time and energy, basically, to...
0: Well, we imagine that his life with through. Ron and Percy was probably pretty comfortable. That's true. I mean, they took good care of him uh, and didn't expose him to very many threats. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that one of the first things he did after turning into a rat, more or less semi-permanently was uh seek out a nice safe wizarding family right. and take up with one of their kids because like, you know, it's a great way to avoid having to live on the street, defend yourself from predators, etc. Mhm. Um so that makes a lot of sense to me.
1: So the next um pair that's really interesting to look at is Hermione and Lupin. So um Lupin comes in like we said because he saw them on the map and um when they embrace, when Lupin and Black embrace as friends, um, Hermione immediately becomes upset and immediately is quick to, like, condemn him and also out him as a werewolf immediately, which is something that she's been holding in, we find out, for quite a long time.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then, for her, it's a in her mind of, like, he's a werewolf, I thought he was a good guy, but actually that... I should have known that means he's bad and he's been helping black and i think that her character is really interesting right now because obviously she's been so vulnerable this whole book and is especially vulnerable now after the supposed execution now they're in obviously a very dangerous situation now yeah. but she's probably more vulnerable than any of them um just because just mentally, and she has been not only holding in the secret of the Time-Turner, but holding in the secret of Lupin is a werewolf that she figured out, and she knows that nobody, no no other students must know. Um, Yeah. And she is keeping that in, which is a huge deal as well.
0: Yeah. And I think we should give Hermione some credit. You know, I think if you start from the assumption that Sirius Black is bad, Mm -hmm. and then you see Lupin embracing him, it's not such an insane conclusion to jump to that they've been working together, that they're friends and they're still friends. Um, But she, she is wrong. So, you know, it, it now with hindsight, we can say that she was leaping to conclusions. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, and that the leap was that Lupin actually had nothing to do with Black's incursions into Hogwarts. And that, uh, in fact, he was working with Dumbledore and the staff to try to prevent that from happening. Right. So, you know, Hermione being so quick to condemn him is interesting. I think you are you have a good point that she's been frayed by all of this that's been happening. And she's very high strung right now. Obviously, this is a very tense situation. So, um, you know, I, I think we should give her some credit. But uh, the assumption that Lupin was planning all this with Black from the beginning is baseless. And she only makes that conclusion because she sees them together
1: now i think it it is definitely it is baseless there's no there obviously it's not true and there's no evidence for it but i also think yes jumping to that conclusion of the fact that it's been such a um question this whole time of like how did black get into the castle yeah and she also now knows because he just admitted um he helped write the marauders map and he has the map so at this moment, that's actually a really smart thing for Hermione to do because she doesn't know that Sirius helped write the map. She knows that Lupin did. And she's like, Lupin's his friend. Lupin knows secret passageways. Uh-huh. And they got in. So I think it it's it's ultimately baseless, but I think she has some... It's a pretty good
0: inference. Theory, yeah, yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, and so how does Lupin respond to this situation? I think this says a lot about his character, too.
1: Yeah, so Lupin does... Um, a kind of reverse Harry move by giving everyone their wands back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, uh, and does he give them his wand or what happens? No,
0: he puts his wand in his belt. In so his, he's, he's, he's like, I'm unarmed. Yeah. And you all have your wands out. Right. So I think this is a really cool moment because he is de-escalating. Yes. And he's saying like, I feel so confident about, my position, if you will, just let me explain it mm-hmm. that I'm willing to take the risk of all of you attacking us right now right right, and giving you the the power in the situation because I think that if you just listen to us you'll be we'll all be fine
1: right, and that's i mean there's so much power in that and all also it's it's sort of like um you know. <laughs> like giving a kid like the power to like choose something or the power to do something it's like you can you can be mad but like you can't really argue with this because i'm giving you um you do have all the power yeah. and all you have to do is sit here and listen to me um and if you decide to uh you know hurt me that will be entirely on you
0: right and and so lupin is basically saying you know, starting from the beginning of the situation where Lupin had all their wands, mm-hmm. there was a power differential where Harry, Ron, and Hermione were disadvantaged now. And so they were less inclined because of that to hear him out, and they were more inclined to be fearful of the outcome of the situation. But now Lupin has given them their wands and put his away. Mm-hmm. Now the power balance has shifted in their favor, so they are more inclined to listen because there's less risk right. to them. Yeah, They're not in danger anymore, theoretically or as much. So, you know, the risk is mitigated, and so Lupin says, my position is so strong, I don't need to even be armed. You guys can be armed. If you just listen, then uh, everything's gonna be great.
1: Yeah, and, like, kind of psychologically, like, that, it calms... It comes if you, if you feel like you are gonna have to fight for your life or you're about to be attacked, you're not in a state where you can, like, listen and think rationally to the other person. So, right. if you... By giving him the wands and having you know, being calm and explaining this, um, they're actually getting the ability to listen because they don't have that at that moment. Because they're not in
0: panic mode anymore. Yeah. yeah. They've sort of deactivated the sympathetic nervous system fight or flight response mm-hmm. that they've been having, probably. Uh, and And now they're calming down a little bit because they're more in control of the situation.
1: There's a lot that we could start to talk about now about some of these interactions, what really happened, what is about to happen, but... The next chapter is going to be full of all of that. Yep. So I think that um, right now, maybe the only other um, relevant thing to talk about is now that we know that Sirius is the dog or the Grim, which um, Trelawney has been seeing, you know, in Harry's yeah. path. So that's another interesting thing to think about with what we were talking about last time with Trelawney's predictions. It's like, yes, the Grimm is around Harry. The Grim has been Sirius. Sirius has been following Harry. And, and so, in his
0: future as well.
1: Yes, in his future. And that, but so knowing what we know about Sirius, which is, we're not going to go into all the details, but we know Sirius is a good guy. Sirius is not out to hurt Harry. What what do we make of the different interactions he's had with the Grimm and when he's seen him throughout this book?
0: Well, it's very cleverly written because I, I think as we've pointed out in each instance of Harry seeing the grim, it's always immediately followed by a near death experience, hmm. which kind of reinforces to Harry that there is something really ominous about this archetype that he keeps seeing. Maybe it really is a bad omen um but you know, looking back with hindsight now that we know Sirius is okay and that he's been the grim all along, you know the interaction that they had in Magnolia Crescent, where the night bus was um that was just Sirius coming to to sort of get a look at him. Mm-hmm. You know, like Sirius just wanted to, he he wasn't going to say hi or anything, but he just wanted to go and look at his godson.
1: But it's also when Harry's, I mean, when you're talking about, oh, it it's followed by near-death experiences, it's kind of a protection. You know, he's, he's there because Harry's in a vulnerable position. I mean, even at that moment, yes, he just wanted to get a look at him, but also Harry's just been, like, escaped with no way to go. Yeah. To Hogwarts at that moment, you know, he's...
0: Well, but we don't know whether Sirius planned for that or not. Probably not. You know, he was probably just, like, skulking around Privet Drive. Waiting. Hoping that Harry would come out sometime and that he would see him. Um, That's probably
1: true, but...
0: And and Sirius doesn't intervene in any of these situations on Harry's behalf because it would have been too risky. No. Um. So, you know, the night bus arrives and then Harry's fine. You know, he probably stayed just to make sure Harry was going to be okay. But he right. wasn't going to out himself.
1: No, of course. He would never out him. But I do think that just watching of, like, you know sort of like a parent watching from afar that like you're you're okay. I yeah. think that that is what Sirius is doing, and that maybe he would never have revealed himself or really intervened. But if Harry were in serious danger, I think that he might have um, tried to do something at least. In, in possibly, these...
0: yeah. I mean, and then you know, there's the Quidditch match, right? Um, I'm sure Sirius saw that that Dumbledore had the situation on under control, mm-hmm. so. After Harry falls off his broom, Dumbledore's going to save him, so it's fine. I don't need to get myself involved in that either. Um, and that's pretty much it. I, the other instances of Harry seeing the Grim are um, more mundane, sort of like looking out his window at the dark grounds mm-hmm. kind of things. Um, and that's when we start to realize more that it's not so much an omen as it is like a real animal right. that is actually kind of following him around. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think this... This chapter and the next chapter are some of my favorites in the book and in the series, just because of, you know, the kind of revelatory information that we get, how interesting these people are as characters, you know, Lupin and Black and Pettigrew and James, you know, James has been this mysterious uh, character for so long that, that, you know, almost mythical in a sense. Everyone is always telling Harry that he looks just like James, that he reminds them of James in terms of his behavior and the way that he carries himself. Um, learning more about who that person is is pivotal to understanding our main character in this book too.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I agree that this is. these are some of my favorite chapters in the series. And I think just in general, there are chapters, these are the types of chapters that Rowling... Writes really well, not just climactic, but also I just love the Harry Potter uh, chapters where it's just a bunch of characters talking the whole yeah. time.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like those really good Oscar winning movies where there's no like huge action fight scenes in these climactic chapters. The climax is a bunch of people in a room talking, okay, Yeah, you know, and it's really dramatic and there's so much tension. But ultimately, the conflict is between people talking, not between, yeah. you know... Uh, starfighters and and people shooting laser beams into the sky you know
1: yes thank you all for listening to harry podcast and cat rat and dog we hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter
0: if you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today especially how harry handles the situation with sirius black please email us at contact at the harry podcast.com
1: you can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at thehairypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we reveal the identity of Chapter 18, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. I'm Madeline.
0: And I'm David. And we'll see you next time on the Harry Podcast. Knox.